Christmas Day, about 40 years ago, my grandmother, who was one of the most precious people in all the world, with all her family gathered around her, began to open the gift that we had placed in her lap. Very carefully, she took off the wrapping paper, allowing for no tears, not only to honor the person who had wrapped the gift, but because the paper could be used again. Then she carefully broke the tape, holding the lid to the box again, because the box could be used again. Then very carefully, she began to search through the tissue paper, because of course the tissue paper could be used again. And she finally discovered in the box the gift that had been given to her. And she took the gift out of the box, and she held it up, and she exclaimed, Well, I don't know what it is, but I sure do need it. <laughs> of course, we laughed at our grandmother as well. And somebody for the next 40 years have always repeated that line while we're opening Christmas presents. But the point is, it didn't matter to my grandmother what the gift was. It didn't matter if she understood how to use it. She simply trusted that the family who loved her would not give her a gift that she did not need. All she needed to do was to receive the gift with thanks, which she did. And later on, she would figure out what it was and how she was supposed to use it. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And we here at Redeemer with churches around the world are celebrating this amazing gift that God has given to his people and to his church, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that you and I don't always understand. The ways of the Spirit, the workings of the Spirit are often a mystery to us. But we know this, we sure do need Him. Apart from the work of the Spirit of God, we would never really know Jesus. And apart from really knowing Jesus, we would have no hope of ever being in in an intimate relationship with the one and only true and living God. So this morning, we receive this gift with thanksgiving. We rejoice that the Father loves us so intently that he, and intensely that he gave us this gift. We humbly acknowledge we don't understand all there is to understand about the Spirit. But we do this. We spend this day and the rest of our lives contemplating the Spirit of God. Who he is. What does God want us to understand about him? What are we to do with this tremendous gift? Why has God given us the gift of the Spirit? These are the questions that we will consider both this morning and when we come to this passage again next week because here's what's really important. You and I, truly, we must live like the Spirit-gifted people that we are. So if if you have your Bibles with you, I ask you to turn to the book of Acts The second chapter, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's on your phone. (laughs) It's also in the pew rack in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those. But when you found Acts chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand as we here read together the word of the living God. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... 
A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Oh Lord, always we give you thanks for speaking your truth through your word. And then, Lord, for preserving this word for us through the course of thousands of years so that we may know you, so that we may love you, so that we may live like spirit-gifted people and make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake, which is our longing. And we look to you to accomplish that innocent through us, now through the power of your word and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. This morning, we need to ask, what is it that God wants us to understand about the spirit? And what truth does he want us to associate with the work of the spirits? So we can begin to answer those questions by looking at the actual day of Pentecost. And know this, with, with God, there are no coincidences because God is the sovereign God. Because he rules and reigns over all things, there's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as luck. This seems to me to be a fitting place to read from our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, the larger catechism, Question 12 asks this, what are the decrees of God? And this is the answer. God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity, God hath for his own glory, unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. The truth of the answer to that catechism question and the scripture upon which it is based assures us that Pentecost was on purpose. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pentecost was on purpose. Amen. Pentecost was on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It was decreed by God himself that the spirit of the living God would be poured out on Pentecost and no other day. Pentecost was on purpose because the very day helps us understand the work of the spirit of God. And it puts before us good and right expectations of a life and for a life and for a church that has been gifted with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was Celebrated long before the day about which we've read this morning in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost was the second of the three great festivals that marked the rhythm of the annual life of the people of Israel. And so it had a rich history, and Pentecost meant something to people. It needed no explanation, just like July 4th or you know, December 7th or, or June 6th or 9-11, needs no explanation for an American. Those days mean something to us. They're full of emotion, and so it's on purpose. 
that God chose this day, the day of Pentecost, a day that was full of meaning and full of emotion for the people of Israel to gift them with his spirit. If we look at the festival that was in full swing in Jerusalem when the spirit came quite suddenly, we can begin to understand what God was priming the hearts and the minds of his people to understand about the spirit in that moment. And it's clear from all the events that took place on the day of Pentecost that God was seeking not just to touch the minds of his people. He didn't just make a a propositional statement as if you and I are just one gigantic brain. Sometimes Presbyterians believe that. God engaged all the senses on the day of Pentecost. There were sights to see and things to smell and tangible uh, things to, to taste and touch, sounds to be heard, all of it on the day of Pentecost. So the first association to make with the Spirit is the day itself. Pentecost was also known by another name. It was called the Feast of Harvest. Because on that day, they celebrated the ingathering, the harvest of all the later grains. It was also called the day of first fruit because on this day, fresh bread was baked. Does anything smell better than fresh baked bread? All over Jerusalem, you could smell the fresh baked bread as the newly harvested grain was made into loaves, baked and then presented to the Lord as a thank offering. It was also a feast for the eyes. Everywhere you looked in Jerusalem, you could see a collection of the best of the bountiful harvest that God had provided for his people. Those gifts too to be taken and presented to the Lord. And so it isn't difficult to understand why the people of God loved Pentecost so much. What a great day. What happy associations with it. You know, a forward-looking vendor could have sold I heart Pentecost t-shirts. I love Pentecost. Pentecost was great. Pentecost wasn't about frugality. It wasn't about adding another cup of water to the soup to make it stretch a little further. Pentecost was about abundance and celebrating God's bountiful provision. So forever and ever, the coming of the Holy Spirit would be associated with the abundance of God's blessing. Look how God further emphasizes that abundance. Look down in verse 40 chapter 2. Peter's preaching for the very first time in his life. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Is that abundance? 3,000 people heard and responded to the gospel because of the work of the Spirit of God, that's abundance. Of course it's abundance because it's the work of the Holy Spirit abundantly working at the festival, celebrating his abundance. Now contrast the abundance of the Spirit on this day with the development of the copper wire. Do you know how the copper wire was invented? You know this, don't you? Two Presbyterians were fighting over the same penny. (laughs) I feel like I'm about 90 telling a joke like that, but nevertheless, it's the truth. 
Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, God chose Pentecost as the day to send his spirit because he wanted his people to have an abundance mentality, not a miserly mentality. And it's not a, a desire for an abundance of stuff. It's a desire for abundance of new transformed lives. And the abundance isn't only limited to the 3,000 people that were saved that day. The abundance also extended to the disciples as well. Where were the disciples after Jesus was crucified? Over and over we read in scripture where they were. They were in a room locked away. Specifically, scripture says, out of fear for the Jews. That's where the disciples were, locked away in fear. Now, we come to verse 1 and 2 and 3 in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. And where are they? They're together in a house. Maybe the room where they always stayed locked away. What we know is this. That when the Spirit descended on them and when the Spirit of God filled them, guess what is gone? Fear. Fear is gone. And it's replaced by boldness. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and begins his first public speaking. It's amazing. That's transformation. Pentecost should remind us that our lives, yours and mine, are not to be lives of little change. Instead, they are to be lives marked by great transformation. Expect it. Pray for it. Because we have the Spirit. As you and I go about kingdom building ministries, not only as individuals, but together as a church, as a family, on mission together, in our longing, and I pray that there is longing in our hearts, but in our longing to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake, forefront in our minds, as people gifted with the Spirit of God, should be the reality of the abundance that was part of the Pentecost celebration that the sovereign God chose as the day that he would pour out his spirit that would forever and ever animate and empower kingdom work until Christ returns. I wonder if there is a larger principle at work in the words that Jesus spoke to that sinful woman who anointed his feet with oil while he was eating dinner in the house of the Pharisee. Jesus said on that occasion to the Pharisee, I I tell you, this woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Could that also be true about our expectations as well? The one who expects little from the Spirit, the one who seeks little from the Spirit, little transformation, little kingdom growth, only marginal, negligible difference for Jesus' sake. If that's what we expect, maybe that's all we'll receive. Very little. Since I've already quoted from the confession about the decrees of God, I'm not suggesting that you and I tell God what he should do or what he must do. God will act according to his sovereign will. But neither can we use the decrees of God as an excuse. Well, it's not in God's sovereign will 
for our ministry to flourish and to thrive. You know, this is the true, true story. I've discovered that some very small, very inward turned reformed churches do this very thing. And I was shocked when I discovered that they view their smallness. Listen to this. It's true. They view their smallness as God's blessing on their ministry and an affirmation that they are doing things the right way. Of course, they say, the crowds will not be drawn to us because here in this place, we teach the truth. And then they quote Matthew seven thirteen, where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But listen, you got to put that in context. And the narrowness of which Jesus speaks is true narrowness. There is one way to God, one way. And what's that way? Oh, that's right. Just say Jesus and you know you're going to be right. But it's the truth. There's only one way to come into relationship with the, the sustainer and creator of the universe. And that is through Christ and Christ alone. However, that way is open to all who will believe. And so God has given us the responsibility Not to keep that good news to ourselves, but instead to offer it to all people. If God did not want people to believe the gospel, he wouldn't have thought it up. And Christ wouldn't have lived it out. And he wouldn't have sent his spirit to awaken dead souls to believe the gospel, right? Right? Yeah. It seems that by sending the spirit on Pentecost... And by the Spirit's activity on Pentecost, 3,000 saved, God is impressing on you and me and his people of all times the mindset of abundance. Whenever Scripture refers to the Spirit of God, it's always in terms of abundance. Ezekiel chapter 29, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on the house of Israel. Zechariah chapter 12, God says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and mercy. Acts chapter 2, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Acts chapter 2, verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Acts chapter 10, verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. One more, John chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The spirit and abundance go together. Again, sometimes what we do as a church mitigate the abundance idea. Because you know, when we baptize people, we sprinkle with a little bit of water. When it comes time to celebrate the Lord's table, you get a little thimble full of juice. Thimble full of thimble. (laughs) Thimble full of juice. 
And you get this little tiny piece of bread. But please don't ever allow that to make you think that we serve a stingy God or frugal Savior. Because we do not. There is no place for copper wire theology here. Pentecost was on purpose. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pentecost was on purpose. That's right. It reminds us that with the Spirit, there is abundance. Now, there's a second aspect that was also part of the day of Pentecost. In addition to celebrating the abundance of the harvest that God had provided for his people, Pentecost was also a celebration of and commemoration of the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And so all the Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem on this day would be celebrating the giving of the law. And so how fitting that on the very day when they're celebrating the giving of the law, God pours out his spirit that will write that law on their hearts. And so Pentecost forever becomes an illustration that God is always faithful to his promises. That's an even better thing to turn to your neighbor and say, God is always faithful to his promises. Can you do it? Yeah. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Pentecost. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And so on this day of Pentecost, they celebrate the giving of the law on the tablets of stone at Mount Sinai. And God pours out his Holy Spirit and turns sinful hearts of stone into living hearts of flesh. The purpose of the law was always to lead to Christ. The purpose of the law was to show all human beings how utterly unable we are even to obey just 10 commandments. There are just 10 of them. I don't know about you, but I always utter a little, bless your heart. When I'm talking to somebody about spiritual things, they say, oh, I'm a good person. I say, oh, really? You're, uh, in what way? Well, I obey all the Ten Commandments. I say, oh, really? <laughs> Can you help me out with that? Because I sure don't. We can't be good enough to get to God on our own. We have to have Jesus. And everywhere Peter looked as he preached on the day of Pentecost, he could see really good religious people. They were in Jerusalem because they were good religious people. And they had come to do what they were supposed to do, to obey the law of God and to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. Certainly among those people, there must have been those of true faith. But just as certainly among those people, there were present those just like the scribes, just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees, just like the priests that plagued Jesus during his earthly ministry. They knew very well the letter of the law. Completely and fully they knew it. 
but they had completely missed the heart of the law and the heart of the God who gave it. Stone, cold, formal religion is all they had. But here's the good news. Pentecost. It's a new day. The day that God prophesied. Hearts of stone turned to hearts of flesh. Hearts now able to comprehend the depth of their sinfulness and their desperate need for Jesus. And all that is the work of the Spirit of God. On this day, because the Spirit of God joined with the preaching of the gospel, stone-hard hearts were given new life, just as God planned, just as God promised, because God is faithful. So of course we celebrate Pentecost today. It is a celebration of the faithfulness of God. Did I mention that God always keeps His promises? Every one of us here this morning can have hope. That's God's heart toward us. He has so much more for us than religion. And he has so much more for us than duty. And he has so much more for us than lethargic, cold, hard hearts. And that's why he sovereignly planned for Pentecost and the giving of his spirit. If you are here this morning and you have never understood that this is God's heart toward you, this is your moment. Understand it now. For those who will trust in the love of our Pentecost God, for those who will believe His way, the gospel way, God promises to give you a new heart. Confess, he says, the hardness, the sinfulness of your heart. Turn your back on that. Turn in faith to Christ and receive from him a new heart. I'm telling you, others here will tell you, it is just that simple. It's as simple right now in this moment as it was on the day of Pentecost. On that day, God allowed these people to miraculously hear the preaching of the gospel in their own language. And in that moment, because of the work of the Spirit of God, heart transplants were taking place everywhere. Can you imagine? 3,000 in that moment. This could just as miraculously be your moment right now. For those of you who are here this morning, those of us, in whom the transplant has already taken place, we need for Pentecost to remind us of the faithfulness of God to his word. As we go about our ministries of kingdom building, as we give our lives to making a difference in this place for Jesus' sake, we know that we seek those things after a God who has already sought those things. He's already made provision for those things, and God will always be our faithful partner. We don't have time this morning to get to the sound of the wind on the day of Pentecost or the tongues of fire. That's going to have to wait until next week. But I think that we have enough to ponder and to consider this morning and to pray about 
as we take this gift that God has given to us and look at the gift of the Spirit. Who is he? What is he to do in our lives? Where is our expectation for abundance in our own lives? Not living lives of defeat. Not settling for meager transformation. The Spirit has better. Where's our expectation for abundance when we speak out and live out the gospel? God is saving people. Absolutely. God is saving people through the power of the Spirit when the gospel is lived out before them. We should expect it to be so and pray that it will be through us. This is how Spirit-gifted people live. We may not always understand the mysterious workings and ways of the Spirit, but we can trust in the love of the Heavenly Father who has gifted us with the Spirit. We can say, I don't understand who He is, but I sure do need Him. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we, we just confess our great need for Your Spirit. Lord, apart from the work of Your Spirit... Truly, we would know nothing, not things that truly matter in this life. But because of your spirit, Lord, we can understand truth. We can know who you are, Lord Jesus. We can know our need for you. So thank you, Spirit of God, that you are present with us now. That's a reality. We don't have to beg you to come. We don't have to invite you to come because you are here. And so we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, for the work of the Spirit, even this moment, in all of our lives. We all have an ongoing need for your ongoing work. But particularly, Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who may never have heard or understood the gospel. Pray that your Spirit would, even in this moment, show them their great need for Jesus. And that in faith, they would respond to your love and to the call of the gospel to repent of their sins and turn in faith to Christ and receive in this moment a brand new heart. Lord, as we seek to do your work in this city and around the world, keep us dependent on you and on your spirit and have us, help us to have great expectations of you. Lord, not to live lives of defeat, not to have a, a mentality of frugality, Lord, but an abundance attitude and mindset. May it fill this place as we ask you and call on you to do great and mighty things in us and through us for the sake of the advancement of your kingdom. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.